0: Father, we love you and we are really, really grateful that we get to be here together today, Easter Sunday, to celebrate as a community who you are, what you've done, and what it means for us. And as we enter into this time, as we settle in and sit back and just allow ourselves to soak in your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would fill this place with uh, an even more tangible awareness of your presence and your love. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate the words we read today in a fresh way in our souls. God, we love you so much. And we commit this time to you in Jesus name. Amen. Okay, if you guys have a Bible, you're going to want to pull that out. If you have a device with access to a Bible app, you can definitely pull that out now too. Today, we're going to be spending a majority of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to cover a lot of ground together as it pertains to the resurrection. But first, I wanted to share something with you today that gave me a much-needed chuckle this week, and I I really hope it does for you too. Um, We have some friends In our church family here. And they have uh, one of their children enrolled in a local preschool in town. And around Christmas and Easter, the teachers at this preschool, they will sit down with each student in their preschool class. And they will invite the child to tell them in their own words what the story of of Christmas is and what the story of Easter is. And they will transcribe, the teachers will transcribe every word. The student says, and then they'll present it uh, as a project for the year and post it on the wall. And as you can imagine, there's often a variety of versions of the same stories from the mouths of four, five and six year olds. Um, Earlier this week, these friends of ours, they posted their five year old son's version of the Easter story on Facebook. And uh, after I read it, I asked him if I could share it with you all today and they gave me permission to do so. So I'm going to do that with you. So, without further ado, I present to you the Easter story as told by one of Lake Surrey Vineyard's very own five-year-old boys. Here's what he said. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So, when Jesus died on the cross, it was because the soldiers didn't like how he was talking. He was making his own decisions, and then they wanted to kill him. And so, God gave them bread, and he was like... What are they going to do to me? And he showed them his blood in a bowl. He sitted on a rock in, like, in this like forest place, and then the soldiers came, and they hurted him so bad, and then they killed him. God wanted to save people from their sins. It was the only thing for him to do, to die. And then he rose again in three whole days, three short days. Dad said, if we'll be good on Tuesday, he'll buy a Super Mario Odyssey. <laughs> Isn't that great? No, I reached out to Dad. Apparently, they weren't good on Tuesday because he has not purchased Super Mario Odyssey yet. And I, you know, I've I've yet to find uh, the passage in Scripture where God shows His people His blood in a bowl. But other than that, this little guy's got the basics down pretty good, don't you think? Jesus died on the cross for our sins because God wanted to save people from their sin. And then he rose again. I'd say, well done, little man. And I'd also say that's a great transition into where we're going to be reading today. So if you haven't already done so, open up to 1 Corinthians 15. Today is Easter. Resurrection Sunday. And for some, what we gather to celebrate this weekend carries very little meaning. And is nothing more than an annual attempt to get to church Good excuse to eat a bit more chocolate, buy that new pastel spring dress and update your family photo on Facebook. But for followers of Jesus, people who truly believe that Jesus is the son of the most high God, the Messiah and the savior of the world, resurrection is a really, really big deal. See, we're here today to celebrate that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but you have to know, That the joy we have and the reason that we celebrate today is about much more than just the fact that Jesus is alive again, okay? That's a really big deal, absolutely worth celebrating, but it's not the only reason we celebrate today. See, the joy we have and the reason we celebrate today is about Jesus being alive again and what it actually means, what it points to, and what it proves, It's not just about a dead guy being alive again. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, to get started, we're going to begin reading in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. And let me just give you a uh, quick heads up about 1 Corinthians, okay? It's a letter from the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to this church in Corinth, these believers. And just to be to the point without getting into all the details today, the church in Corinth had a lot of issues. It was messy. They were broken. They were doing some things kind of wonky. And so, Paul has written this letter to them, and it's filled with correction and reminders and uh, of things that the Corinthians either didn't understand, didn't believe, they misunderstood, or completely disregarded when it came to their faith in Jesus and how they lived it out. And the issue that Paul's going to address here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is going to have to do with resurrection. But I think you'll be interested to know that it's not just regarding Jesus's resurrection. We'll get into that in a few moments, but first let's begin reading verse 1. It should be on the screen behind me too if you want to follow along that way. Here's how Paul begins this passage. He says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. So, Paul starts this portion of chapter 15 by saying, look, you guys, before we go any further, I'm going to take us back to the main and the plain simple truth of the gospel, the gospel I preach to you and the gospel that you say you believe and are building your life on. And the reason I'm going to do that is because it is that gospel that saves you. And that gospel that everything we say, everything we do, everything we think and believe is hinged on. See, Paul is about to enter a discussion that for some of them, and even for some of you here today, will be a bit over your head and likely a bit unbelievable. But nonetheless, what Paul is about to share with them is true. And the reason it's true is because of the gospel. And so Paul, before he gets into the reason for this portion of the letter, he's going to quickly remind them of the gospel that he preaches and that they say they believe. Here's what he says next in verse 3. He says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some are fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born, Paul. In three verses, just takes us through the simple, basic, straightforward truth of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins. That Christ, because he died, he was buried in a tomb. And that Christ was resurrected on the third day. The main and the plain, simple truth of the gospel. And when he does that, not only does he point to the gospel's validity and believability because of what scriptures have said undoubtedly Old Testament prophetic scriptures written hundreds of years before. But he also points to the gospel's validity and believability because of what people have said. People that saw with their own eyes the once dead, now alive again, Jesus. See, it's not just the scriptures that reveal the gospel is true. It's also the accounts From people that actually saw Jesus alive again after he died that do too. And the first group of eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection that Paul mentions here are the disciples. Listen to this passage out of Luke chapter 24. This is going to be familiar to you. Verse starting in verse 36 that shares what it was like when the disciples saw Jesus alive again after he died. Listen to this. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Can you imagine? It's really me. Touch me. And see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Isn't that cool? See, Jesus revealed himself alive again to the disciples on purpose. And it was because he knew that it wouldn't be his death on a cross that would prove that he really was the son of God and the savior of the world. Hundreds of people had died on crosses at that point. But that it would be his resurrection that would. And after those disciples got to see Jesus with their own eyes and after they got to touch him with their fingers and even after they watched him eat some fish after he was buried in a tomb. That was when they knew that they knew that they knew that they knew that that Jesus really was the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords and that everything that he'd spoken to them was actually true. It was true. I mean, can you believe it? It's true. It was also then that they realized that they had been called into a way bigger story than they thought. But see, it wasn't just the disciples that Jesus revealed himself to alive again. Included in the eyewitness lineup that Paul presents here was a group of over 500 people, as well as a whole list of other followers of Jesus that included himself. And the reason, you guys, that Paul heavies on the eyewitness content here is because the gospel he preaches, the gospel the Corinthians say they believe, and the gospel that he's reminding them and all of us about right now, it needs witnesses. It does. It needs witnesses. Because without witnesses, all the gospel would be would be just a really entertaining story. But it's not. And the fact that people witnessed Jesus die on the cross, the fact that people witnessed Jesus buried in a tomb, and even more, that people witnessed Jesus risen from the dead, actually affirms that it actually happened. And not only do the eyewitnesses affirm that it happened, but the fact that people saw the once dead Jesus now alive again also confirms. Now listen to this. It also confirms that Jesus really did actually die for our sins. And let me tell you why. See, the only way, the only way that Jesus would have ever been able to do that, to die for all of humanity's sins, like the scripture tells us, the only way that that is possible is if he's sinless, perfect, and holy. And the only way that Jesus could be sinless, perfect, and holy is if he was from God. Jesus was more than sinless, perfect, and holy, and he was way more than just from God. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh as proven not just by his words, not just by Old Testament scriptures, but by his resurrection from the dead. And not only does his resurrection from the dead prove he's God and prove he legitimately was able to pay our debt to sin, but it also proves that repentance from sin and belief in him really does, like the gospel says, bring us salvation and eternal life like he said it did. That, you guys, is what I mean when I say that today is about much more than just celebrating a dead man coming back to life. Make no mistake, Vineyard, Resurrection Sunday is about Jesus, who he is, and what he's done. But Resurrection Sunday is also about what we have access to because of who he is and what he's done. And that's why we're so full of joy today. Because we are a people who were once lost, but now we're found, right? We are a people who were once condemned because of our sin, but now we're rescued. We're freed and forgiven from it. Our chains are gone, like Cassie said. And we once had no eternal hope, no hope. But now we do. Because in Christ, through Christ... The Bible tells us that we will live forever. And this is what Paul is about to dive into here in chapter 15. And this is what many believers have misunderstood, overlooked, and denied. See, guys, listen carefully. Paul has just spent the first five sentences of chapter 15 reminding these believers and all of us here today of the simple truth of the gospel. And the reason that he's doing that is because the central truth of the gospel is the promise of forgiveness from sin and eternal life. But unlike, listen up, unlike what most believe, eternal life isn't about just going to heaven. And it's certainly not just a place in the sky that's filled with disembodied souls floating around forever. See, eternal life is about living. Living, being alive forever with God. See, the promise of eternal life is about yours and my resurrection from the dead just like Jesus's. And I know for some of you here today, you're like, I can't believe we chose this place this morning. <laughs> it might be weird and make you feel a little uncomfortable. Might even be new information to you. But before you check out, let me just explain this to you. Before we get back into First Corinthians 15. If you regularly attend here at the vineyard, this is actually something we've just gotten done talking about. As we wrapped up this overview of the Bible series we did this year. If you weren't here during that time, these are the cliff notes. This is what you need to know. The Bible says that a day is coming in the future when Jesus Christ will actually return again to the earth. Scripture refers to this as the second coming of Christ, okay? And when he does come back, Scripture tells us that he will come here to fully establish his kingdom rule and reign here on earth as it is in heaven. When he does that, The Bible says that he will destroy everything that is in opposition to God. And that once that process is complete, that God will renew heaven and earth. Meaning that everything as it is today, right now in this moment, everything as it is today in heaven and on earth will be made new. You can reference this in Revelation 20, 21, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, chapter 5. And when that happens... When heaven and earth are renewed and everything in opposition to God is destroyed, everything will be as it was intended to be. And earth, the very place we're standing and sitting on today, will be a place and a reality where there will be no more sadness, sickness, heartache tragedy or pain a place where scripture tells us god himself will wipe every tear from our eyes a place where god and man will dwell together in perfect relationship a place where evil darkness and sin and death will no longer have power see the bible says that the renewed earth will be like heaven (laughs) heaven on earth and it tells us that it will be on the renewed earth where every person in past present and future history who's placed their faith and trust in jesus will live Alive again in an actual body. And many have not understood this and have just believed that eternal life is about floating around as disembodied souls. And this is what the Corinthians believed. And this is why Paul is writing this to them here. Though they said they believed in the gospel, they doubted and denied that there would be ever a resurrection, largely because of their culture and their confusion with the truth. And it makes sense because it does sound crazy. It's certainly hard to get your mind around. But what Paul is about to do, as we continue in First Corinthians 15, is he's about to show them that not only will there be a resurrection of all believers, past, present, and future, but that if Jesus really is who he says he is, that there has to be. Otherwise, the gospel is ridiculous, powerless, and makes every believer an absolute fool. If you still have your Bibles open, jump to verse 12. Here's what Paul tells us next. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, which it is, and exactly why we're all here today, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. Verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all a people most to be pitied. Paul's just said a ton here. So let me just explain this real quick. Remember, Paul is talking about the future resurrection of believers here, a future reality that Scripture and the very life and resurrection of Jesus Christ point to. Paul is not giving us a lesson on what happens right after we die, okay? For the record, Paul does teach on that elsewhere, and the Bible does reveal that if a person has repented from sin and legitimately placed their faith and trust in Jesus, that upon their death, here on earth, that their souls immediately do enter the presence of the Lord in heaven and will be there till resurrection. But what Paul is pointing to here is that salvation and eternal life includes also our future resurrection from the dead. That even though we die and go to be with the Lord, we do not stay dead forever. And that our final destination isn't disembodied soul existence in heaven, but an actual resurrected, glorified body on earth. And in the verses we just read, he makes a number of qualifying statements to help affirm this truth. Did you catch it? These are, these are a big deal. Listen to this. The first thing Paul tells us, he says, if the dead in Christ don't actually get to be alive again, resurrected from the dead, then it cannot be true that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and made alive again. It just can't be, he says. The second thing he says is if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, then all our preaching of this gospel is ridiculous. Absolutely useless and every single one of us who believed it are fools. And then the third thing he says is not only are we all a bunch of fools for preaching this and believing this if Christ wasn't actually risen from the dead, but we're also actively misleading people and misrepresenting the God of all the earth. And of course, he's absolutely right. I mean, think about it. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, the fact that we're all here this morning is really pathetic. Really? And then, you know, just to make sure the Corinthians get that point, and all of us, he actually repeats these things again. He restates it all, and he places emphasis on the fact that if we don't get to rise from the dead just like Jesus did, then there's no way and no reason Jesus had to. And that all this talk about Jesus and his resurrection is nonsense. Now, if you're anything like me, regardless of how bold those statements are that Paul has just made, regardless of how convincing they might even sound, they don't really mean a whole lot without an explanation, do they? I mean, sounds great, Paul. Obviously, you're passionate about this stuff. But why don't you tell us how our resurrection from the dead even has anything to do with Christ? I mean, Jesus was God. It it makes sense that he, being God, was raised from the dead. He's God, right? We're not. So explain to me, Paul, why what you've just said is true. And you know what? Paul will hear in just a moment. But we can't forget that he already kind of has. Remember how he started? Chapter 15. What did he do? He reminded the Corinthians and all of us of the simple truth of the gospel, right? And this right here is where it becomes really important for us not to forget the whole reason scripture tells us Jesus came. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life john 10, 10 the thief comes only to steal kill and destroy i have come that they may have life and have it to the full see jesus because of love came to make a way for life life jesus is all about life And his life was always intended to make way for ours. Here's how Paul continues to explain all this. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Paul continues by saying, okay, listen up. Here's how this works. Okay. Jesus Christ, he was resurrected from the dead. And we know that because of the historic proof through not only fulfilled scriptures, but also because of the hundreds of legitimate eyewitnesses to it. He says that first. Then, after confirming Christ's resurrection, Peter then refers to Jesus as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And those words are really easy to read past quickly. But these words are words that you cannot miss. See, the first fruits is a reference to the Old Testament and how under the Old Covenant, God's people would give the first portion of the harvest to God. It was an offering that came from the very first part of that harvest before the full harvest had ever been taken in. And why this is important and why Paul uses this term is because he's trying to make the point, you guys, that Jesus didn't just rise from the dead so God could show off and prove that the grave couldn't hold him. Jesus rose from the dead to go before us and to reveal to us what we have when we are in Christ. That's why he says that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. It means that Jesus' resurrection demonstrates and precedes what will happen to all of those who die in Christ. Is this making sense? Are you tracking with me? And then what he does after he says this stuff about the first fruits, he, he he gives us greater explanation by bringing up the first man. Okay, you guys remember Adam and Eve, right? We love those guys. They're so great. God created them, first man, first woman in his image, to live and to dwell in the garden, to be fruitful, to multiply and to extend God's rule and reign over the entire earth. But because they disobeyed God, sin entered the world. And from that point on, every human being would be born into sin and would struggle with sin. And not only does every human being struggle with sin, but all humanity from that point on is also subject to the same consequent for it, which the Bible tells us is death. But not just physical death, also spiritual death, eternal separation from God. Because of Adam, all mankind sins and all mankind faces death. But you should send him a thank you note today. Appreciate that, Adam. But see, after Paul reminds us of the bad news, he points us to the good news the gospel. That is that even though all men will struggle with sin and will die because of the first man, not all men will stay dead because of God-man. He says that just as sin and death came through Adam, that forgiveness and life would come through Christ, as demonstrated through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Do you guys know what all this means? Look at me. Do you know what all this means? It means that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection because it proves who He is and it proves what we have in Him. It means that, that since Jesus resurrected from the dead, it means that we will too one day. And it means that no matter who you are or what you've done or will do, that if you have repented from sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus, it means that you no longer need to fear death or be afraid of what's to come after it. Because the gospel proves that our hope in Jesus will not be put to shame. Then you're this right here. The gospel and the truth about forgiveness, eternal life, and resurrection is central to our hope and our theology and doctrine as Christians. And because it's true and because we're people who believe it to be, is why we build our whole lives around it. Why we pursue God why we pursue obedience and holiness, why we read our Bibles, why we pray, why we share our faith, and why days like today are actually special. Because since this is true, nothing else matters more. And because the resurrection is what seals the deal and confirms the gospel, is why Paul is trying to clear this up for the Corinthians. See, if they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and if they don't believe in the future resurrection of believers, then the truth is that they don't actually believe the gospel like they say they do. And if they don't really believe the gospel, then the faith that they say they have is in vain. Just like Paul said in verse 2. Now listen to how Paul explains how how and when this is going to happen. We're going to move quick here now. Verse 23. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, each in, but each in turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Paul says resurrection will happen, and it will happen in a specific preplanned ordained order. First, Jesus will resurrect from the dead, and of course, that's why we're here today, celebrating the fact that he already did. Then, after Christ resurrects from the dead, Paul says that when he comes, and Paul's referring to the second time Jesus comes, Paul says that at Christ's second coming, those who belong to him, meaning those who have believed in and trusted in Christ, will then be resurrected from the dead too. And then after that, he says, the end will come. But not the end of the world, the end of life as we know it, the end of this age... And that is when God's kingdom will fully be established here on earth and all dominion, authority and power that is opposed to God will be destroyed. And this, that is what we are holding out for. That is what we have to look forward to. Not just an eternity for our souls in heaven, but an eternity where we will get to be alive again and live alongside Jesus on the earth. Never to ever have to face evil, darkness, sickness, tragedy, heartache, death or pain again. And you know what? (laughs) every day that goes by, we get closer and closer to it. And I can't wait, especially after the year we've all just had. But every day that goes by means that there's less and less time left for people in our lives that don't yet believe to get the opportunity to do so. And that's a big deal. Jump to verse 51. We're going to wrap up now. Paul ends by saying this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. That's exactly what this is. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable and the mortal with immortality. The key word in this phrase is mystery. Paul paints this brilliant picture of what it's going to be like. He says, not every person on earth will have died when Jesus returns for the second time. But every person who is in Christ will be changed. Vineyard, we, we were made to live forever. You know it. It's written on your heart. It's written on mine. And because of God's amazing, unfailing, never-ending, undeserved love, when evil and sin had its way in the world, he didn't just lift his hand and say, well... It's a bummer for you guys. No, he set in motion a plan to redeem and rescue and resurrect what he created through his son Jesus. And by God's grace, he made a way for us to be released and forgiven of the debt we owe and the punishment we deserve by simple faith in him. And it's not just so we can be in heaven when we die. So that we could be with him forever, alive, as we've always been intended to be. And this is why we celebrate Easter. This is why we make such a big deal of Resurrection Sunday. It's because even though life this side of heaven is often cruel and an enormous struggle and fight, we know That it won't be like this forever. And that one day soon. We'll be with the Lord fully alive in his presence. Completely free of sin. Heartache, tragedy and death. (laughs) And this truth changes everything for us. Though not just eternally. But today too. See, we are people who have tremendous hope and faith because we don't have to wait till eternity to to experience God or his love. And we don't have to wait till eternity to really start living because real life, true life, resurrected, abundant life begins when you say yes to Jesus and surrender to him today. See, the Bible says that not only are we forgiven from sin and given eternal life when we repent and believe, but the Bible also says that the moment we truly believe, we truly say yes to Jesus, that God fills us with his spirit and seals us for what's to come, not just guaranteeing our inheritance in the kingdom, but also empowering us to be people of the kingdom here today. If you're here today or watching online and you've not yet said yes to Jesus, if you've not yet believed and confessed Christ as your Lord and savior, if you've not received his forgiveness and the assurance of eternal life on this Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2021, may I invite you to place your faith and trust in him and embrace all that God has and wants to give you. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for today and just, just a marked reminder of who you are, what you've done, and how good it is. Lord, so many of us in this room today know exactly what it means to be lost and then found, rescued and redeemed and set free. And God, you're the one that's written those stories. Thank you so much for making a way for us. Thank you so much for reaching into our reality and our world and revealing your love. Thank you so much for giving us a reason to live Jesus, I ask that you would move mightily in our hearts, not just even in this moment, but as we leave from this place, Lord, not forgetting, God, just the simple hinge point truth of the gospel. We love you. We're so grateful for your love. Thank you for rising from the dead. In Jesus' name.